Raja Anadatana. We don't know what they are. <laughs> but at any rate, it's generally uh, classed that narcotics and liquors. Now, there are two ways of translating this precept. One says to abstain from narcotics and liquors. The other liberal translation favored by the great scholar Dr. Malala Sekera we don't is know I abstain from being intoxicated <laughs> by these things. But at any rate, it's generally... Uh, so if you drink and don't get intoxicated, it's okay. You see? You don't have to be a teetotaler to be a Buddhist. This is especially true in Japan and China. My goodness, how they throw it down. <laughs> I once a, a scholarly Chinese said to me, you know, uh, before you start meditating, just have a couple of martinis because it increases your progress by about six months. <laughs> before you start meditating, just have a couple of well, martinis because it... <laughs> now you see, these are, as I say, they are not, they are not commandments, they are vows. Buddhism has in it no idea of there being a moral law laid down by some kind of cosmic lawgiver. And the reason why these precepts are undertaken is not for a sentimental reason. It is not that you're going to make you into a good person. It is that for anybody interested in the experiments necessary for liberation, these ways of life are expedient. First of all, if you go around killing, you're going to make enemies. True. And you're going to have to spend a lot of time defending yourself, which will distract you from your yoga. <laughs> if you go around stealing, likewise you're going to acquire a heap of stuff and uh, you're going to, again, make enemies. Mm -hmm. If you exploit your passions, you're going to get a big thrill, but it doesn't last. When you begin to get older, you realize, well, that was fun while we had it, but I haven't really learned very much from it. And uh, now what? Same with speech. Uh, nothing is more confusing to the mind than taking words too seriously. We've seen so many examples of that. And finally, to get intoxicated or narcotized, a narcotic is uh, anything like alcohol or opium which makes you sleepy. It does. The word narcosis in, in Greek means... Uh, knocks his sleep. Mm. So if you want to, mm, to pass sleep. your life seeing things through a dim haze, this is not exactly awakening. <laughs> so then, uh, that's a concern so much for the conduct side of Buddhism. We come then to the final parts of the Eightfold Path. There are two concluding steps which are called, well, I explain the word samadhi, but I'll write it here again, uh, shmriti, samyak shmriti, and samyak samadhi. Shmriti means recollection, memory, present-mindedness. Seems rather funny that the same word can mean recollection or memory and present-mindedness. But Shmriti is exactly what that wonderful old rascal Gurdjieff meant by self-awareness or self-remembering. Shmriti is to have a completely complete presence of mind. So it, uh, there is a, a wonderful meditation called the House That Jack Built Meditation. At least that's what I call it that the southern Buddhists practice. He walks and he says to himself, there is a lifting of the foot. There is a lifting of the foot. Oh. Next thing he says, there is a perception of the lifting of the foot. And next he nasty. says, 
there is a tendency towards the perception of the feeling of the lifting of the foot. <laughs> and finally, he says, there is, is a consciousness disgusting. of the tendency of the perception of the foot, of the feeling of the lifting of the foot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with everything that he does, he knows that he does it. He is self-aware. This is tricky. Of course, it's not easy to do. But as you practice this, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, which I suppose I shouldn't do. But you will find that there are so many things to be aware of at any given moment in what you're doing that at best you only ever pick up one or two of them. Sorry, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I press up my Facebook. Ordinary conscious awareness is seeing the world with blinkers on. As we say, you can think only of one thing at a time. That's because ordinary consciousness is narrowed consciousness. That's being narrow-minded in the true sense of the word. Looking at things that way. Then you find out that, as in the course of going around, being aware of what you're doing all the time, what are you doing when you remember? Or when you think about the future? I am aware that I am remembering. I am aware that I am thinking about the future. Mmm. Mmm. Hold on, hold on, Alan. Hold on, Alan. Damn, son. Damn, son. My G said, I am aware that I am thinking. And I am aware that I am the substance in which who is reflection of what is thinking. So you're thinking. You are not the thoughts. You are the awareness behind the thoughts of which is thinking. See, what eventually happens is you discover that there isn't any way of being absent-minded. Mm. All thoughts are in the present and of the present. Mm. And when you discover that, you approach samadhi. Mm. Samadhi is the complete state, the fulfilled state of mind. Wow. And you will find many, many different ideas among the sects of Buddhists and Hindus as to what samadhi is. Some people call it a trance. Sorry, guys, Some people call it a state of consciousness without anything in it, knowing with no object of, no of knowledge. Some people say that it is the unification of the knower and the known. All these are varying opinions. I had a friend who was a Zen master, and he used to talk about samadhi. And he said a very fine example of samadhi is a fine horse rider. <laughs> when you watch a good cowboy, he is one being with the horse. So an excellent driver in a car makes the car his own body. Yes. And uh, he absolutely is with it. Yes. So also a fine pair of dancers. They don't have to shove each other to get one to do what the other wants him or her to do. They have a way of understanding each other, of moving together as if they were Siamese twins. That's wow. samadhi. On the physical, ordinary, everyday level. Wow. Understand. The samadhi of which Buddha speaks is the state uh, which is, as it were, the gateway to nirvana. The state in which the illusion of the ego as a separate thing disintegrates. Wow. Now, when we get to that point in Buddhism, Buddhists do a funny thing, which is going to occupy our attention for a good deal of the seminar. They don't fall down and worship. They don't really have any name 
for what it is that is, mm. really and basically. The idea of anatman, of non-self, is applied in Buddhism not only to the individual ego, but also to the notion that there is a self of the universe, a kind of impersonal or personal god. And so it is generally supposed that Buddhism is atheistic. It's true, depending on what you mean by atheism. <laughs> Here we go. Common or garden atheism is a form of belief. Namely, that I believe there is no God. I'm still believing in something. The atheist positively denies the existence of any God. Mm. All right. Now, there is such an atheist, if you put a dash between the a uh, and theist, <laughs> or speak about something called an atheos. <laughs> Theos in Greek means God. But what is a non-God? A non-God is an inconceivable something or other. <laughs> I love the story nothing. about a debate in the Houses of Parliament in England when, uh, as you know, the Church of England is established and therefore under the control of the government. And the high ecclesiastics had petitioned Parliament to let them have a new prayer book. And somebody got up and said, it's perfectly ridiculous that Parliament should decide upon this because, as we well know, there are quite a number of atheists in these benches. <laughs> and somebody got up and he said, oh, I don't think there are really any atheists here. We all believe in some sort of a something somewhere. <laughs> oh, now man. again of course it isn't that uh, some Buddhism believes in some sort of a something somewhere and that is to say in vagueness some sort of something somewhere here is the point if you believe if you, believe. If you have certain propositions that you want to assert about the ultimate reality, or what Paul Tillich calls the ultimate ground of being, you're talking nonsense. Yes. Because you can't say something specific about everything. <laughs> nice. You see, supposing you wanted to say God has a shape, but if God is all that there is, then God doesn't have any outside, so he can't have a shape. <laughs> you have to have an outside and space outside it to have a shape. <laughs> so uh, that's why the Hebrews, too, are against people making images of God. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> Jews and Christians persistently make images of God, uh, not necessarily in pictures and statues, but they make images in their minds. And those are much more insidious images. Mm. Buddhism is not saying that the self, capital S, mm. the great Atman, mm. or whatnot, it isn't denying that the experience which corresponds to these words is realizable. Mm. What it is saying is that if you make conceptions and doctrines about these things, yeah. you are liable to become attached to them. Wow. You are liable to start believing instead of knowing. Wow. So they say in Zen Buddhism, the doctrine of Buddhism is a finger pointing at the moon. Wow. Do not mistake the finger for the moon. Mm. Also, we might say in the West, the idea of God is a finger pointing at God. But what most people do is instead of following the finger, they suck it for comfort. Mm. <laughs> And so Buddha chopped off the finger. <laughs> and so Buddha chopped and, off uh, the finger. Undermined all metaphysical beliefs. There are many, many dialogues in the Pali 
scriptures where people try to corner the Buddha into a metaphysical position. Mm. Is the world eternal? The Buddha says nothing. Is the world not eternal? And he answer nothing. Is the world both eternal and not eternal? And he don't say nothing. Is the world neither eternal nor not eternal? And still he don't say nothing. <laughs> he maintains what is called the noble silence. Sometimes later called the thunderous silence. Because this silence, this metaphysical silence, is not a void. It is very powerful. The silence is the open window through which you can see not concepts, not ideas, not beliefs, but the very goods. Wow. Hold on. But if you I got I got to pause that real fast, Ben. Think about the potential implications <laughs> implications <laughs> implications of that phrase. I was listening to a podcast of Aaron Dowdy with RSD Max and the podcast amazing right amazing as it is they were talking about the absence of something the absence of thoughts and when you have this space in which is how do i say it a space that would be your mind you're giving yourself an opportunity to not think consciously but instead to observe the thoughts in which flow in which are presented to you and by allowing your mind to simply empty itself by watching the thoughts very similar to like a stream or a river or a boat moving down the water and as you're observing the thoughts they eventually the water itself becomes still as if your mind empties and it's only at that moment are you able to observe god because instead of holding an image or holding an idea or holding a concept you are instead allowing the infinite to paint inside of your mental canvas simply holding space for you to be a vessel to allow the infinite to walk amongst you and this is what he's talking about to observe god is to truly know thyself as god himself which is emptying the whole and allowing whatever is inside to see come forth the empty canvas allows a painter to draw anything but if it's full of paint and if it's full it's very distracting and it it's just so much on top so much overlay so yeah amazing amazing let's continue say what it is that you see you erect an image and an idol and you misdirect people it's better to destroy people's beliefs than to give them beliefs mm. i know it hurts mm. but it is the way that is what cracks the eggshell and lets out the chick. Of course, if you want to stay in the eggshell, you can, but you'll get addled. <laughs> <laughs> this, then, you see, is why, of course, Buddhism is in dialogue form. The truth cannot be told. It can be suggested, it can be indicated. And a method of interchange between teacher and student can be arranged whereby the teacher constantly pricks the student's bubbles. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. That's what it's And because about. that's the way it is, <laughs> we find that in the course of history, Buddhism keeps changing. It develops, it grows. As people make all these explorations that the original Buddha suggested, they find out all kinds of new things. They explore the mind. They find out all the tricks of the mind. They, uh, oh, they find out ever so many things. And they begin to teach these things, talk about them. 
And some people influenced by, in modern Asia, influenced by Protestantism, say, let's go back to the simple original teachings of the Buddha. <laughs> like people say, let's get back to the simple teachings of Jesus. Well, the simple teachings of Jesus are as lost as lost can get. <laughs> Nobody can read the New Testament with a clean mind today. Because whenever you look at the Bible, don't you hear some preacher's voice in your childhood reading those words? Hasn't your culture taught you to interpret these words in certain ways? You can't get back. True. And nobody can get back to Buddha. True. You can only go on to Buddha. Hold on, pause your face. I love what he's talking about, the evolution of teachings. And it is true. Like, of course, you can say some teachings have existed for a while, which is true. Some teachings have existed for a while, and they haven't changed that much. But mostly, all teachings have evolved. And... Yeah, for a person to say, let's go back to the basics, let's go back to the fundamentals, is to reject progress. You know, the the progression of thought is to bring more thoughts. The only way you don't think anymore is when you're becoming God and you're allowing the emptiness and the nothingness, or I shouldn't say emptiness, I should say nothingness. Because nothingness is very different from emptiness, but you're allowing the the sorry the nothingness to just be right. But on our day day lives, we usually have a teaching. We usually have some sort of thought, some sort of idea, some sort of concept, and these teachings, when we think about them, when we chew the gum, sometimes it gets worn out, right? Sometimes you, you read the same thing so many times that it becomes boring. So what do you do? Your mind evolves. It creates a new perspective, a new frame of mind, something new to look at. It looks at it from another view, an, an alternative perspective. And that is what he's talking about, the evolution of teachings because of our continual need of something new, something exciting, something like... One of the greatest feelings I can ever experience is an epiphany. When I have an epiphany, my whole body lights up. My whole face lights up. Everything lights up. I'm a light. <laughs> I'm a light. <laughs> because epiphany excites me. It makes me realize, wow, I just had something. Like, I just gained something. In actuality, I didn't gain anything. I simply expanded my field of awareness of what I saw was possible. Which is what he's talking about here. But anyway... Let's continue and listen to what he's talking about because my boy Alan Watts, man, he, he's, he's no joke. At the same time, he's the funniest joke. <laughs> so that's why in Zen, they just burn the books up. <laughs> I mean, occasionally. Because I, love, I love a teacher that you can just laugh with, man. It's, it takes a certain type of energy, like a free-flowing confidence to just laugh, you know, in the middle of a lecture. Burn up books, you've got to have some books to burn up. <laughs> but when, uh, you know, you can say that the, the teaching of the founder is the thing. This is terrible. It's like the oak suddenly saying one day, hey, we ought to have all these leaves around here. We ought to be just that simple little acorn. <laughs> <laughs> now, a living tradition grows. And but what it does is this. As it grows, so it grew from a seed, mm -hmm. an acorn, keeps dropping off new acorns. Mm. You don't go back to the old acorn, you get a new one. And that becomes a new seed for another tree. This is fine. Now, let me just warn you. The scholarly study of Buddhism is a magnum opus beyond belief. There are two collections of Buddhist canonical scriptures. One is in Pali, the other was originally in Sanskrit, but we don't have a complete collection of it in Sanskrit. We have these collections in Tibetan and Chinese, bigger than the Encyclopedia Britannica, as a matter of fact. So it's a formidable enterprise to get into the Buddhist scriptures, and what's more, most of them are unbelievably boring. <laughs> 
Unbelievably They were written boring. by monks with plenty of time to pass on wet afternoons during the monsoon. And uh, they repeat and they elaborate and they are full of kind of preparatory, you know how in the silly trick in radio they have of giving a fanfare to introduce the program. So in the same way, these scriptures have fanfares in which all sorts of Buddhas are introduced and we beings and they're all described and where they were assembled and how many of them there were and where they were sitting and what kind of bows they made and all this jazz. And then uh, <laughs> finally a few pearls of wisdom are dropped by the Buddha <laughs> or else they sometimes go on for pages and pages of actually very, very subtle and very profound discourse that is not dull if you have a penchant for that kind of thing. But uh, I warn you, don't try too hard to read the Buddhist scriptures. It's all right to read the Dhammapada, which are sayings of the Buddha. It's all right to read the Diamond Sutra. It's all right even to read the Surangama Sutra or the Lankavatara. But when you get mixed up with the larger Pragna Paramita and all those things, you're in deep water. <laughs> you're in deep so you water. see from time to time, Buddhists me. get tired of the scriptures. Actually, they keep them in a revolving bookcase in some monasteries. Thing about so high, so wide, it revolves. And uh, instead of reading all this stuff, you're supposed to be able to acquire as much merit as you would from reading it all by twirling the bookcase around once. In uh, <laughs> Zen monasteries, they have an annual ceremony for reading the scriptures, but they are printed like an uh, accordion. In other words, the pages are connected to each other zigzag. <laughs> and then they have board on the back and the front, so that you can pick one up and go like that. <laughs> Like a okay, everyone listening, you got to make that noise. <laughs> Hold on a minute. We got we, we to gotta play that noise back, man. Alan Watts is hilarious. In other words, the pages are connected to each other zigzag. And then they have board on the back and the front. So that you can pick one up and go like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on guys I gotta find an image of, of that book he said the pages are like zigzags hold on we gotta we gotta look this up actually I'm taking you with me I'm taking you guys with me going on Google looking at this um zig Zag. Buddhist books. We're going to see if we can find it. Okay. Hey, look at Terrence McKenna. Oh, yes, here it is. This is exactly what he's talking about. Right here. Oh, this is what he's talking about. Stuff like this. The zigzag. Yo, this is crazy. Yo, look at this, man. The zigzag. Accordion, that's what it's called. Accordion. All right, let's get back to the video. Like a slinky uh, moves. <laughs> like a slinky. And so they each monk is assigned a pile of the volumes. This happens once a year. And they all chant. Hello, Vivian. How are you doing? Uh, sections of the scripture. 
But very often, each monk chants a different one. And while they're doing this, they pick up a volume and go, click, and put it down on the other side. Pick up the next one, click. And this is the annual reading of the scriptures. <laughs> There's a wonderful picture of this being done in Suzuki's book, The Training of the Zen Buddhist Monk. So you see, uh, I'm a Buddhist are funny about scriptures. They don't treat them the way Christians treat the Bible. <laughs> they respect them. They occasionally read them. But uh, they feel that the writing, the written word, is purely incidental. <laughs> it is not the point. And indeed, it can be a very serious obstacle. Zhuangzi, mm. a Taoist sage, once said, just as a dog is not considered a good dog just for being a good barker, a man is not considered a good man just for being a good talker. Mm. So uh, we have to watch out for the traps of words. Mm. We have to watch out for the traps of words. Wow. have to watch out for the traps of words. Alan Watts. Out of Your Mind now continues with the next lecture from the World as Emptiness Lecture Series. You must understand, as one of the fundamental points of Buddhism, the idea of the world as being in flux. I gave you the Sanskrit word anitya as one of the characteristics of being mm. emphasized by the Buddha along with anatman, the unreality of a permanent self, and dukkha, the sense of frustration. Dukkha really arises from a person's failure to accept the other two characteristics, <laughs> lack of permanent self, Oh, and change. You see, in Buddhism, the feeling that we have of an enduring organism, I meet you today, and I see you, and then tomorrow I meet you again, and you look pretty much as you looked yesterday, and so I consider that you're the same person, but you aren't. Not really. When I watch a whirlpool in the stream, Here's the stream flowing along, and there's always a whirlpool, like the one at Niagara. But that whirlpool never, never really holds any water. The water is all the time rushing through it. In the same way, a university, the University of California. What is it? The students change at least every four years. The faculty changes at a somewhat slower rate. True. The building changes. They <gasps> I knock them down and put up new ones. I love this The administration analogy. changes. So what is the University of California? <laughs> oh, I love that. It's a pattern. A doing of a particular kind. Wow. And so in just precisely that way, every one of us is a whirlpool in the tide of existence. And we are in every cell in our body, every molecule, every atom is in constant flux. Mm. And nothing can be pinned down. Mm. Constant flux. You know, you can put bands on pigeons or migrating birds and identify them and follow them and find out where they go. But you can't tag atoms, much less electrons. They have a curious way of uh, appearing and disappearing. Wow. 
one of the great puzzles is in physics what are electrons doing when we're not looking at them yes because our observation of them has to modify their behavior wow metaphysics we can't see an electron without guys he's talking about metaphysics this is actually mind blowing i didn't even know alan watts like was in the same time period as the metaphysics discovery um if you guys don't know the double split experiment the double slit experiment states depending on the observation of the scientists and their beliefs of what the experiment outcome will be actually does affect the outcome so just by their their observation their looking of it impacts or in essence is connected and constantly exchanging information with the 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 object in which is observed and that's exactly what we're talking about right here like oh my gosh i didn't even know on what's new about this putting it in an experimental situation where our examination of it in some way changes it <laughs> what we would like to know is what it's doing when we're not looking at it <laughs> does the light in the refrigerator really go off when we close the door <laughs> but this is fundamental you see to buddhistic philosophy the philosophy of change from one point of view change is just too bad everything flows away and there's a kind of sadness in that a kind of nostalgia and there may be even a rage go not gently into that good night but rage rage at the rage dying of the light mm. damn how was this hitting everything but damn there's something curious there can be a very fundamental change in one's attitude to the question of the world as fading mm on the one hand resentment and on the other delight mm. if you resist change of course you must to some extent when you meet another person you don't want to be thoroughly rejected but you love to feel a little resistance true don't you you know you have a, a beautiful girl and you touch her you don't want her to go <laughs> <laughs> but so round so firm so fully packed <laughs> a little bit of resistance you see <laughs> is is great <laughs> so there must always be resistance in change otherwise there couldn't be even change there would just be a a, a the world would go and that be that would be the end of it Wow. But because there's always some resistance to change, there is a wonderful manifestation of form. There is a dance of life. But the human mind, as distinct from most animal minds, is terribly aware of time. True. And so we think a great deal about the future. and we know that every visible form is going to disappear and be replaced by so-called others <laughs> are these others so-called others. others or are they the same forms returning wow wow of course that's a great puzzle Are next year's leaves that come from a tree going to be the same as this year's leaves? What do you mean by the same? They'll be the same shape. They'll have the same botanical characteristics. But you'll be able to pick up a shriveled leaf from last autumn and say, "Look at the difference. <laughs> This is last year's leaf." 
this is this year's leaf. And in that sense, they're not the same. Wow. What happens when uh, any great musician plays a certain piece of music? He plays it today, and then he plays it again tomorrow. Mm. Is it the same piece of music, or is it another? Mm. In the Pali language, they say, Nacha so, nacha anno, which means not the same and yet not another. Nacha so, nacha anno. So, in this way, the Buddhist is able to speak of reincarnation of beings without having to believe in a, some kind of soul entity that is reincarnated, some kind of Atman, some kind of fixed self, ego principle, soul principle that moves from one life to another. And this is as true in our lives as they go on now from moment to moment as it would be true of our lives as they appear and reappear again over millions of years. Wow. It doesn't make the slightest difference. Except that there are long intervals and short intervals. High vibrations and low vibrations. When you hear a high sound, high note in the musical scale, you can't see any holes in it. It's going too fast. And it sounds completely continuous. But when you get the lowest audible notes that one can hear on an organ, you feel the shaking. You feel the vibration. You hear that music going dun 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 on and off. So in the same way, as we live now from day to day, we experience ourselves living at a high rate of vibration and we appear to be continuous, although there is the rhythm of waking and sleeping. This was exactly what I was talking about on my Facebook post. Hold on, guys. I have to show you this. I was I was literally talking about this same exact thing on my Facebook post. Look at this right here. What the hell? Like... Hold on. Yeah, right here. This is this is this is one of the posts. When life throws you off, you go off, then go back on like a light switch, and then I actually talk about it more in depth before that. Let me see if I can find it. It was a really really deep post. Um. Yes, right here, right here, right here. Yes, look at this. Look at what I said yesterday. The crazy thing about this life is you are not one person. We think we are the same as when we are born, the same individual. We link our bodies to our past via our memories, but it is very evident that your body does not really exist in the way we think. Our body is an extension of our soul. Think of it as a crystallized soul. The same way water turns into ice upon certain frequencies is the same way your soul becomes a body in certain dimensions. Once we understand this, we can see that our bodies are constantly ebbing and flowing in and out of our reality. You see, this thing is exactly what he's talking about with the high frequency of a song. You cannot tell that the song itself has an on and off or the pitch of the high frequency has an on and off because it's going so fast it feels so continuous i even say it in, in in the next one you are being projected back into focus so fast that there is no sign of you being missing from this reality at all the foundation of your cells are quarks which are nothing but light energy an empty space filled with more light energy your soul is flicking the light switch of your body consciousness on and off and on and off again in cycles until you have your fill. 
constantly incarnating into many forms, life forms, and lifetimes. But ultimately, you are not those bodies. They are only an extension of your one soul. This soul cannot be destroyed because it's everything itself. It is the essence of our reality. When we say we are one, we are one. Not in a playful sense, but in a literal sense. We are one soul, experiencing diversity through reflections. By reflecting, we allow the opportunity for many of us to have light bodies or crystallized souls, giving us the illusion that we are our bodies. Damn. I gotta share this post. Even though I just posted it. Fuck it. Gotta share it again, man. If you haven't read these these posts I, I made, don't worry. It'll be easy to find now. I made like four, I think I made like three or four beast, beast posts. Like posts that were like amazing. Anyway, it's just crazy to hear how Alan Watts thinks so similar to me. But the rhythm that runs from generation to generation and from life to life is much slower and so we notice the gaps we don't notice the gaps when the rhythm is fast true so we are living as it were on many many levels of rhythm mm. wow he expanded it further this is the nature of change wow if you resist it you have dukkha, you have frustration and suffering. <laughs> True. But on the other hand, if you understand change, you don't cling to it, and you let it flow, then it's no problem, it becomes positively beautiful. Which is why, in poetry, the theme of the evanescence of the world wow. is beautiful. When Shelley says, the one remains, the many change and pass. Mm. Heaven's light forever shines, earth's shadows fly. Mm. Life, like a dome of many-colored glass, stains the white radiance of eternity until death shatters it to fragments. Now what's beautiful in that? Is it heaven's light that shines forever? Or is it rather the dome of many-colored glass that shatters? Wow. See, it's always the image of change. Always. That really makes the poem. Thank you, Vivian. I just saw tomorrow you and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps on life's petty pace from day to day. Somehow, you know, the poet has got the intuition. The fact that things are always running out, that things are always disappearing, has some hidden marvel in it. The Japanese have a word, yugen. Y-U-G-E-N. Y-U-G-E-N. Which has no English equivalent whatsoever. Yugen. Yugen is in a way <laughs> I love this digging change wow guys I think I'm going to end the stream now how long have I been streaming let me check my software I've been streaming for an hour so that's good thank you all for coming on and enjoying this oh my gosh did Maya just come back Maya, if you just came back, I gotta continue the stream. I don't know. What do you think I should do? Comment, cause this this is so lagged. Comment one, if I should continue. Comment two, if I should stop. Cause I can I can I can keep going like I can keep going. <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
I'm so pumped. I just got this brand new streaming software. So right now I'm streaming on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube all at the same time. So super dope. This is insane. You know what, guys? We're just going to keep on going, man. Why not? I mean, seeing seeing Maya just come back suddenly, and it just gave me some more energy. It's described poetically. <gasps> you have the stop. feeling of you again. Vivian said I should stop. Vivian, we going to keep on going, baby. <laughs> oh, man. I love you, though. Thank you. You know what? We probably should stop, though. No cap. <laughs> probably should. Hold on. But before we go, you guys got to see my face at least at least one time, right? Let me open the camera so I can properly sign off. Not the calculator. What are you doing? Not the calculator, the camera. Cam's error. Before I go, so we can sign off. We can sign off, sign off, sign off, sign off. Hey, it's me. Thank you all for watching. Thank you very, very, very much. I'm in deep appreciation and gratitude. This has my, been my first live stream on my computer with this setup. I'm figuring it out. You know, it's very cool. I've never done anything like this before in terms of sharing my screen like this, but let's do it, man. I think we have a good audio uh, format going on, and I think this is going to be uh, very nice in the future. So keep on uh, tuning in. If you're not tuned into the Facebook group, Humans Helping Humans, then I suggest you go and you come on that Facebook group, man. You can find it on my profile. It's really easy. Just click on my cover photo. And the link is right there. Humans helping humans. The goal is very simple. Humans helping humans. I mean, it's self-explanatory. So if you want to post encouraging, uplifting, motivating, inspirational stories or life experiences and how you've dealt with them, post. That being said, guys, peace, love, light on my reflections. Thank you again for tuning in. And honestly, I will see you soon.